Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, I sat down with David Dansmeyer, music director of Pro Musica Chamber Orchestra, for an engaging conversation about his surprising journey from Austrian piano prodigy to American music director, how Pro Musica impressed him with its singular focus and commitment, and why musicians should focus on emotional expression and engagement with musical pieces over technical mastery. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, The Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored today by Art Makes Columbus, Columbus Makes Art, featuring stories about our city's incredible artists, stories full of inspiration, challenge, passion, and success. For videos, articles, an up-to-the-minute calendar of events, and an artist directory, visit columbusmakesart.com, the resource for all things arts and culture in the capital city. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here with David Donsmeyer, the music director of Pro Musica Chamber Orchestra. David, how are you, sir? I'm I'm good, thank you. Good, thank you so much for being here. First of all, for those that aren't familiar, can you tell us about Pro Musica? Pro Musica is uh, the chamber orchestra in Columbus, in Columbus, Ohio, and it's a very unique, actually, orchestra because we are flying people in from all over the country. So not everybody who is playing in the orchestra is based in the same city, which is, you know, normally the occurrence that, you know, people who play in an orchestra live in the city where the orchestra is. But it is a resident orchestra. It is a resident orchestra. The orchestra, so the organization and the orchestra is resident. I mean, I I personally even live live in Columbus, which is for conductors not at all a requirement uh, normally. So we've kind of turned it around a little bit, but... Yeah, it's it's a pretty pretty unique. It's not a completely unique proposition, but it's a pretty unique proposition that we have our musicians coming from as far as Los Angeles or you know San Diego, Phoenix, and some people drive in Chicago, Cleveland, Cincinnati, and some people are obviously locals. So we are not excluding the locals at all. It's just our concept is really to have the musicians that are absolutely the best that we can have, and we help them with travel costs, and we have a great housing program where, where, where people you know stay in private accommodations and that's great and, you know get get connections it's really like a family coming together it's like an extended family coming together from all over the country like, every you couple know, months for thanksgiving or so every, right. every month actually yeah. okay once a, once a month basically yeah who has to deal with those travel arrangements well <laughs> it's 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 i would say i mean in some ways uh, you know janet our executive director mm-hmm. has to deal with the overall you know concept but it's it's ma- mainly charlie marino who has really to to work it out it's well there's your shout out yeah yeah there's a shout out oh there, there that's not the only shout out to janet and charlie who keep you know it's, it's really the the piles and the heartbeat of this organization i mean we have great stuff generally but i mean you know everybody in columbus knows that janet is brilliant and 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 you know charlie is a fantastic fantastic operations director who really you know keeps the thing running smoothly which is very important for me to rely on obviously and so as the music director how long have you been in your role i think it's my fourth season fifth season it's fourth or fifth season i mean it's difficult for me to tell because before i was music director designate for one season okay and 
And it's actually a good sign that I, you know, that that I don't count the years because you normally count the years if you want to get out of a contract right. or if you're panicked to renew a contract. And okay. If you would ask me now, how long does your contract go? I could tell you it's a couple more years on paper, but I mean, we will work as long as we want to work together and, and we're all very happy at the It's moment, an indication so. that you're comfortable. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that's the way you should work together. You know, if you really have to look at all the details in your contract and exactly the timelines and so it, it means that something is most probably not going exactly like it should. Can you talk about your career? You grew up in Salzburg, studied piano performance, mm. correct? How did you get here? Talk um, about that. Yeah. Not, not, don't go through the CV, but like, that, well, what, you know, you know. I, I have, I have to go a little bit through the CV to answer okay. the question because it, it, it explains a little bit how crazy life can be. Um, I, I often say to people, everything that I, you know, most things that I planned didn't turn out the way I planned them. And most things that I didn't plan kind of like happened in a great fashion. Okay. So I first started in Salzburg when I was 10, I went to Mozarteum and, and started, you know, started studying piano. And when I was 15, I really had enough of it and I quit. <laughs> and okay. Didn't really quit playing the piano. I played a lot. You know, I made some money actually playing the piano in that age, but I didn't want to become a pianist. And then when I was 18, I started studying conducting first in Salzburg then went to Helsinki to see Baylor's Academy. And then, um, you know, kept, kept myself afloat after, you know, when finishing college with, you know, the odd jobs, lots of contemporary music, had a little contemporary music ensemble in Salzburg. And then the real breakthrough point came when I won the audition for uh, the assistant conductor of the Scottish National Orchestra. Okay. Or actually, you know, official Royal Scottish National Orchestra now because we're all fancy. Right. And <laughs> I was there three years, like moved to Scotland, both my kids born in Scotland. Okay. Um, and then in Scotland, uh, the artistic administrator, she was American, Gail Mahut. Uh, okay. And she was wonderful to me, like really wanted to help me, believed in me. And... She said to me, why don't you try, you know, getting some things in the States? And I said, well, you know, I mean, I'm European. I don't know. Will they, will they want me? I mean, is, is, there, is, there, is there a possibility even to kind of like, you know, uh, apply for jobs? But was that so? a goal? Was that something you wanted to? I had not really thought it. I mean, like, you know, when you're, when you're a young conductor, you, you, you think about where can I do anything? You know, it's, right. it's, it's really, I think it's generally for young musicians. I mean, either you win really a major competition. And that came a little bit later in my life. I mean, the, the, weird, the weird fact about competitions and me is that I already had a music director position when I got the real big prizes at, okay. at, at the big competitions, which is the wrong way around somehow. You know, okay. like, normally you do it the other way around. But so that's what the... And I'm not familiar with yeah. this path. Normally, let's say you get to be... You, train, you start training yeah. at that yeah. age, at yeah. 10. Yeah. Um, because that's the time when you're... Well, you start even... I mean, you start learning an instrument, you know, maybe at... I started at six. Okay, I'm trying to figure out so when four, my daughter... It, yeah, yeah. That's exactly. So if you have a, if, if, if you have a very, very young daughter, you, you, you drill her immediately and you don't give her any free time and you d destroy her life by so making her practice So let's walk through how time, I'm right? going to destroy my daughter's <laughs> life. So she's, she's two right now. Yeah, immediately. Like... Give her the strictest okay. teacher, make her miserable, you know? It's like, no, okay. I, I really don't. I mean, some people, you know, the way I'm, I'm, I'm saying that, you know, unfortunately, some people still really believe in that. I, I mean, you know, some people, I know some people who are actually happy musicians who started very young. You uh -huh. know? I mean, you can start, but I think the child really needs to show interest the motivation right for, for me it was actually the, the opposite way around when i was four years old i really wanted to start learning the piano and my okay. father actually forbid me until i was nearly six and why 
I, I think it was a very smart thing. I, I'm, I'm still a very active person as a kid. I mean, nowadays they would just like say that I'm hyperactive or something. Okay. At that time, it was just like I was a slightly annoying child, very loud, throwing things around, throwing tantrums, but also being very kind of like personable and, 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 and happy. Okay. So I think my father saw that, you know, sitting, a, an instrument requires discipline and sitting still. And I was absolutely not able to sit still. I, you know, I mean, like physically, I could not sit still as a okay. kid. And so he was worried that I would start with the piano, but getting frustrated and not having the... Discipline. Yeah, yeah. Just, 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 just not seeing that it not only takes, you know, musicality and, and love for music, but it really also takes discipline. You know, I was, I was clearly also at four years old, talented enough to like do something. But six was a good age because I still had problems sitting still and I got... I can tell you, like, I mean, f thankfully, my mother was very patient with me on the piano because I would throw, I mean, li literally every day when I was practicing, I would at least throw one or two tantrums. And so piano. was 10 when you started formal training or was 10 when you well, started performing? Basically, before I was at the music school, you okay. know, and I had a great teacher. I mean, she was fantastic. The only reason why I changed to Mozart, well, there was two, two reasons why I changed to Mozarteum. First, my, my piano teacher at that time that I had, she was going through a pretty you know rough part of her life and and my parents were kind of friends with her you know okay. they they just had the feeling that she at that time she didn't quite have her head together enough to really give you know solid weekly lessons to me okay. you know I, I don't you know that's just a story i heard from my parents so i can't i, I was a little bit too young to really right. judge that but you know you know i mean I, I i can imagine somehow you know she was a very interesting person um, well it's interesting you bring it up now and i don't like we can go way down this psychological path. Oh, no, absolutely. Path, we can, we can go, like, we can go down it, the rabbit hole as far as you want. That's, that, uh, that's all fine with me, you know. It's, well, let's talk about that a little <laughs> yeah. bit then. Does the disruptions in that teacher's life translate to your current work? Actually, not like, like for me, she was one of the most positive experiences in my life. Okay. You know, I think the only thing that I noticed as a child was that my piano lessons got a little bit more irregular right. in a kind of way. Okay. And, so it wasn't like erratic during the uh, she was, during the I, rehearsals. I or think whatever. she was she was like she was always somehow erratic, but in the most for me in the most delightful way. You know, I mean, she was Mary Poppins. She was yeah yeah. In some ways, I mean, she was really able to put up with the rubbish that I would bring into the lessons. You know, okay. I mean, like I I, I was, see. I think in some ways I was a joy to work with because I was progressing extremely fast. I mean, I started piano with six, with eight, I played my first full Beethoven sonata. So, you know, wow. the progress was fairly quick. And I did practice. I didn't practice as much as, you know, other kids from like drilling families, but I practiced regularly. I practiced, you know, at that age, an hour a day or so, Okay. you know, which, which, is, not, which is not unbelievable, but which is not too bad. Right. And I made progress, so I think, you know, she really loved working with me. And, and interestingly, later when I started for conducting, I managed to get a special permission to continue piano lessons with her because when you, you know, when you get trained as a conductor in Europe, you, you have to do piano as well. Okay. And I actually managed to get an exchange program inside of my own university so that I could get lessons with her. And so again. that was at age... 18 then, okay. from age 18 to age 23 or so, I took piano lessons with her again. You know? So you took piano lessons with her for 15 years? Uh, well, in, 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 the, in, in between, not. So I took piano oh, lessons okay. with her from 6 to 10. Okay. And then when I was 15, I just took very sporadic private lessons with her just to you know, brush up some things. And then when I was 18, I took regular piano lessons with her again. I mean, to this day, she is one of the most biggest inspirations I had. I mean, you know, she was... 
I was just recently talking with somebody about like different types of training and how some teachers just want to teach you some technique or so. Mm -hmm. I, I did barely know how to play, you know, a, a melody on the piano. And she was starting to talk with me about making music and phrasing and thinking about what it means and why a composer wrote something. And so there was like, it, it, it's, it's a general, you know, somewhat, you know, Central European thing, this, this obsession with the background of the music, which I think is it's very important. But, right. Um, it's very interesting in my memories. And I talked, I think it was actually Bram van Sambeck, the bassoon player I worked with two weeks ago who said like his bassoon teacher just never taught him anything about technique. He was just like talking about life and the music and about expressing your inner emotions. And so it's like, you know, when, when you well, get and that's like... What, once, once the technique is there, that seems to me what it should be Well, about, that's absolutely. Right? That's what I mean. Technique should be just an ability to tra translate that into right. reality, you know. But I think for, for me, it was great and it was very important. And it was like a great training ground, like from a very young kid age on to be confronted permanently with why are you sitting there you know what are you trying to express and it, right. it, it really opens you up for a complete different world of you know you're, you're not playing the notes because well, the teacher is not happy with you just playing the notes right. right and not to give a simplistic metaphor but it's a difference between knowing a language and communicating with it oh absolutely it. no it's, it's yeah. not a simplistic metaphor it's exactly like that I mean if you get trained to be a poet mm -hmm. you need to think about you, you don't just learn to rhyme and, and right. to, to, to learn the different techniques about poetry you need to you need to be confronted immediately with why are you sitting down and writing a poem right you can write a book you can write a, a non-fiction book or something or you can just not write at all right why would you sit down and try to create a, a poetic work of art expressing something you, you have to have a reason you have to, to have an inner reason to do that you know right. don't don't just or if you would sit on that on the other end of kind of like expressing some poets poetry and reading that, you wouldn't just read it sentence by sentence and just without any ex expression and you just learn how to read the words. You should immediately start to be confronted with why would somebody write that? You know what it's about. Talk me through a little bit more about how what the traditional career path is yeah. in your field and how yours differed. I think there is no traditional career path anymore. I th you know, I mean, there is in Germany, it, it depends very much on the country. I would okay. say it, where I'm from, Austria, Germany, what is considered the traditional career path is called the Ox Tour, which means you go through to the theater and you become a repetitor and then you become a second Kapellmeister, which means second staff conductor. Then you become okay. a first Kapellmeister, first staff conductor. Then you find a music director that really likes you and then you kind of like take over some some theater as a general music director, first a smaller theater, then a bigger theater, Pr pretty much. And I mean, are you yeah, a... Pretty much. And but, so as a music director, mm -hmm. my background's in theater. And so what I'm yeah. familiar with is the artistic director of a theater company may direct some shows, yeah. but not necessarily all of them. Is it similar in that as the music director, you're sort of laying out the season yeah. and you insert yourself where... Either it makes sense, frankly, where you want to, yeah, where some the work that, is that's interesting what normally to happens, you. Right? Okay, <laughs> that's so that's how that so goes. So the, the ideal would be that you know music directors insert themselves where it makes sense, mm -hmm. but you know, yeah, obviously the ego dictates that you insert yourself also where you just want to. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. That's good. So how did you then get drawn to Columbus? Back to that, the yeah. the woman. So you basically, were you know, with. after Scotland, and 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 like my path is not very common path i think nowadays because after scotland again i moved back to austria and i was guest conducting you know i was doing a fair share of work 
it was not bad at all. I could, you know, my family could live off that. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife was also singing at that time. So we, you know, we had enough money to, to survive decently. But of course, it's a lifestyle, you know, particularly when you're family. I mean, you, you, you really look for something more, you know, Stable. that gives some stability as right. well. And, and, and generally, also from my inner view of how I like to work, I really wanted to have a fixed ensemble that I can try help to shape where I have uh, lasting relationships, where I really know the people that I work with. It's, it's important for me. And, you know, like I said, Gail Mahot, the artistic administrator in Scotland, she was American and she thought, she just said to me, she thinks that I would do well in America. You know, she, she knew me three years long. So mm -hmm. honestly, she made a couple of phone calls and helped to unlock doors. I mean, when you think about the music director search in Columbus, they actually did a very... They did a very, very, very time-intensive and, and wonderful way of doing a music director search. They actually looked at all the videos, all the DVDs that they got sent okay. and everything. And it was actually surprising because I remember when I applied for the job, it said, send DVD of your conducting immediately. And most organizations are like, just please don't send any video or anything. We don't have time for that. Just right. send something, cover letter or whatever. And, you know, send let, your CV. Right. Let us basically throw it away before, <laughs> mm -hmm. before we can you know, deal with the amount of work. And, and in Pro Musica, it was very surprising. It, it made me confident because I was really believing in my DVD. Okay. So uh, I was happy to apply. And then... In terms of level of experience, and I'm just, again, yeah, trying sure. to understand the field. In terms of level of experience, were you maybe not as experienced as someone else that may be submitting, but you were very confident in your performance ability? Yeah, Is I'm that pretty what sure. You're I mean, that's something most probably you would, you would have to ask the people who were on the search committee because okay. they have the ex exact, you know... The matrix. Well, they, the they metric, knew the CVs of right. all the candidates. Um, I, I mean, there must have been some people applying who had some other music director jobs and okay. so that the background that I didn't have. And obviously, I was completely inexperienced in the kind of like landscape of, you know, American. I mean, you know. Well, and the Midwest. Right? Making music is making music on one hand, but at the same time, I didn't have, you know, particularly strong uh, contacts to American agencies or these kind of things that might, you know, it, it's did, maybe did, something you can talk about in the interview and, and kind of like talk to make you look good. And right. So I, I didn't, you know, I didn't couldn't feel that. And did you did it give you any pause that it was Columbus, Ohio, that it wasn't, you know, somewhere on the coast or a, a metropolitan area better known for its cultural institutions? Honestly, I didn't care too much about that for two reasons. One of the reasons was that at the same time. Uh, starting one year early, but, you know, going through the process at the same time, I was becoming music director of the Illinois Philharmonic Orchestra in Chicago. Okay. So it, it, it was basically, it was it was complementing each other somewhat perfectly. First of all, Chicago and Columbus is not too far from right. each other, so that, that certainly helps. But even at that, I didn't look too much. It was just like when I looked at the at the job description of, of ProMusica, it was different. Uh, and, and that kind of like is a theme that goes through ProMusica's history, but is still kind of like such a strength in the organization that things are just done the right way, which is often very different from, from the, the way they're normally way. done. Yeah. And like Talk I said, like the, with the, those differences, well, th th that's for example, a different when you look at a, at a music director search, you know, that ProMusica really takes the time and they looked at all. I mean, I, I, I talked with, you know, Todd Swatzler who was heading the uh, music director search and I was like, come on, Todd, I mean, you, <laughs> you didn't watch all these DVDs. He's like, no, we did actually. <laughs> And they got like whatever, 150 candidates or so. I mean, they watched okay. 150 videos. I mean, nobody else is doing make. Honestly, no one that's would take really the time. it. It, it really, that, that most people just wouldn't take the time. They right. wouldn't be interested in that. You know, it's it's, it's really also a, a, a matter of interest. And you see that everywhere in Pro Musica, everywhere, whatever we do. And I just grew 
into this organization, I think I was a very good fit from the beginning because I, you know, I, I think there are, you know, people with, you know, different, different talents out there and so, but I think one thing that I bring with me is, is, is de determination, you know? Okay. And I always had that. I was determined as a kid. I, I was always determined. I, I, I don't like to do things like, you know, some, somehow. I, I, it just doesn't really interest in me, you know? It's not that I want to work particularly hard or so that that drives me. It's just determination is somewhere in my character. When I take something on, I want to do it as good as possible. Just, just simply like that. And, and so now that you're here... Yeah. What are your reflections while you're, you know, primarily working for Pro Musica? What are your reflections on the Columbus arts community as a whole or well, the city in general? You know, I mean, I, in generally, I think it's it's a good time for us for us to be there. I just I just, you know, want, wanted to elaborate like, you know, a second on yeah. on the de determination of the whole organization, you know, and how that kind of like made me extremely happy from the beginning. Like that, you know, when you when you think about Janet, for example, our executive director, Janet Chen. Who also Who is like, sitting I mean, in the room right well, now? Well, she's she's sitting in the room right now. So I've like, <laughs> like I've somewhat gun to my head, you know. So I need to say now nice things, you know. Normally we could speak more freely, obviously. Right. But no, but no, but th this is something, and everybody knows it about Janet. I mean, I'm not telling anybody something new who knows her, you know, that she always would go the extra mile, the extra twenty miles at least, to to make things happen properly, you know, mm -hmm. the, the right way. And I think we have, and 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 it's 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 very much how the orchestra goes, you know. I mean, we had situation in rehearsals where I thought. Yeah, I mean it's 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 going extremely well, but you know the, the the last shine we will get like next rehearsal or in the concert or whatever, and and you know I'm like you know I think it's I think we're good, and you know one person or some persons in a group just like some random orchestra man would be like ah, oh, would you mind we do this place again just like you know to you know I I just have to feel I'm not you there know, yet, yeah, right? I'm like, exactly right like that, and it's just. Everybody's like that. We it's it's an organization where everybody strives for excellence, and that's how you create excellence. I think you know first you need to have the people really wanting to achieve it. If you, if you don't want to achieve excellence, you will never get even close. Well, I and think. I think it speaks <laughs> a lot to the organization that that's sort of in the DNA. Yeah, right. That, yeah, that it, that it's continues. really yeah, and it's like you know our, our principal guest artist Vadim Glusman who is obviously, you know, one of the top violin players in the world. But he feels the same, you know. He said, like, even 10 years ago, I think, when he came the first time to the orchestra, he said, like, that there were a lot of things that needed to be addressed. But he said the spark was absolutely there. He okay. said he fell in love immediately. He said, like, he said, like, oh, there was some flaws and some problems. But he said, like, the, the absolute spark, this creative, driven, determined spark of doing things the right way was, was absolutely there. He said, like, it was... it's. As an artist to come to work with an organization like that, it's it's addicting, you know, because you, we sometimes don't even recognize it so much more internally, you know, because for us that's the way it's normal. we work. Right. It has become a certain normality. Then when you go outside or when you look at at other, and you know, I'm I'm saying internationally at some mm -hmm. other organizations, you you realize this is not normal. This is this is wonderful. It's it's something that should really make us smile when we work with all, you know, kind of like day-to-day -day frustrations you sometimes have, but it's still, it's, it's rare. It's rare. Some Why do you think that is? I don't even know. I think it's, 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 it's obviously fantastic that you guys have it, but why isn't that, why aren't people striving for excellence? I, I think it really starts with the people. Like, I can't remember. It was some book. I, I can't remember which book it was, but it was some book about excellence written by kind of like a manager in another field, not about musical, but generally uh -huh. about excellence. And, that that person made the claim it always starts with the people. So mm -hmm. he said, like the promise we always talk about what can we do and so and he's like, 
no, 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 the first question always needs to be who can you do it with? First get the right people and then everything will go by itself. And I think actually working with Promusica, I'm starting to look more and more as this about the truth. You know, if you have the right musicians in the orchestra, it will sound great. Of course, mm-hmm. you need the right conductor, you need the right inspiration. But if you have great musicians sitting in an orchestra, there's a very high likelihood that it will sound very good, you know, and it's all about the mindset as well, you know, not right. just people who can play the instruments, people who are absolutely determined to let their fingers and their hearts bleed for the music. And, and, and then you look at the organization and it starts obviously with the executive director, with the staff, because, you know, you know, Janet also chooses the people that she works with. And now when I look at our staff, I mean, it's, 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 it's just wonderful people. And then you can, I think from there on, you really... You can you can make things so I mean like when I think about our players forward project okay which is okay. the project with the charter schools where we you know fundraise to get close to a hundred instruments now into into kids' hands that would normally not have access to that okay that started in a meeting with where I was sitting in Janet and and a board member of us and and the heads of the charter schools and we were just like having a nice conversation about what what can we do like how can Promusica help. And I just couldn't shut my mouth. It's very <laughs> typical for me, you know. It's it's it. I was just sitting there, and people were discussing. We could send some musicians in the schools, and I was like, right. well, "What about we just get mu- instruments into these kids' hands? And what about we find a teacher? And what about we kind of like? I'm just used to think out loud sometimes, right. you know. And I didn't really kind of think about it in a way of real realism. I was or just what like, the logistics really, of we should, this I was just like, what we really should do is get these kids to play instruments, right? That's really what we need to do. It's not kind of like." giving them access to listening just to play. It will change their lives, you know? And we were starting to discuss it, and half a year later, it was there. I mean, that, that, I couldn't believe it, honestly. I couldn't believe it, and I can't claim to anything else than kind of like giving the initial idea, to be you honest. You planted a seed, though. And so, well, I, I planted the seed, but like it's then the whole organization. I mean, like also determined board members. And so, I mean, we have, we have board members who kind of like work around the clock for this organization, basically. It's, it's crazy, right? But... I mean, six months later, we had, I think at that point, 60 violins. Wow. And, and a teacher and the kids and uh, the schools. And, uh, and it was it a was funded there. project. And, and right. that's what I mean. And, and it, was, it was happening. It was literally happening. And, and, and a couple of months more later, these kids played with us on stage at one of our concerts, like a couple of tunes for the opening of our, of our concert. It's, it's incredibly rewarding, you know, yeah. to work in Promusica that these things really can happen. You well, know? and that's a testament, <laughs> one, to the organization, which I think is what you're emphasizing, yeah. but also to have having an engaged board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. For an, oh, yeah. For oh, an yeah. artistic organization, oh, especially, that's not just sort of checking the boxes and approving things. Henry Fogel, the, the former executive director of the Chicago Symphony for 18 years and then the president of the American Symphony League, who I'm uh, thankfully very close, mm-hmm. he said one time to me that the health of an organization, of an arts organization, stands and falls with the board. He Absolutely. said it's very simple. That he says, like, you know, you talk about the executive directors and about the decisions, but he's like, the, the, the basic health of the organization is with the board and our board is extremely strong. That, That's that, fantastic. That is, of course, and it, it's also backup. It gives you, you know, it gives you kind of like the, the the backup that you need for visions. You know, if you have a board who is not kind of like trying to hold you back or whatever, but who is like, you know, like, who's empowering? Yeah, let's you. do it right. exactly. Yeah, they they are kind of getting excited, you know, about about all these ideas. Yeah. you know, that's that's good. Let me circle back. Talk more about Columbus, yeah. the community. Yeah, yeah as no, a whole. no, absolutely, happily. I think it's a great time for me to be here and and for us as an organization because. 
I mean, I know Columbus, you know, just for five years, but mm-hmm. even in these five years, I mean, the city has changed quite a bit. And I where think do you guys live? I live in Worthington. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But wherever, I mean, if you look at the center or good, when I came here, the short north was already pretty cool, but it just goes into a direction that's, I think, very good. You know, you, you can you can look online and on every single day of the week, you, you have some events that you can go to. Right. And, I think it's a city that is really trying and it's not just trying in a way like, yeah, you know, we're really trying. I mean, every city is trying, but it's, right. it's, it's, it's really seriously trying. I think there are a lot of people in Columbus who are seriously interested into making the city as good as it can be. And I just read like, you know, two weeks ago, I mean, it's the 14th biggest city in, 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 Amer- in, in America. It's about yeah. time. I think that Columbus sheds this picture of, yeah, it's this kind of like nice, you know, lovely place. So, and I think, it's that really this perception really starts to change yeah you know from yeah it's this kind of nice lovely place where people are friendly and people are friendly i mean no question the midwest is an incredibly friendly place generally to yeah this is a metropolis i mean this is a properly big city which needs to have high level arts which you know kind of like has obviously you know one of the biggest universities right there is uh, which is an incredible happy and 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 outgoing young population which has diversity which which has a size that is i mean and which is the capital of ohio which you know there are so many things that i think now are at the forefront i mean i I just read about this you know idea that they are kind of trying to push for this is it is it like this independent car things you know as a a smart 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 city and thing i mean yeah all of these things i think are incredibly exciting incredible important actually mm-hmm. for an arts organization to be in a kind of like outgoing city to be in a city that wants to be you know at the center of things that wants to be in the forefront of things that wants to be hip in the best ways so so that that is good for arts because arts and i think people realize that more and more here in columbus is yeah. that arts have to be in the forefront you know if if you want to excite people if you want to you know hire you know highest you know quality people and so it's it's really it's really essential to have all kinds of arts offering, all kinds of offering in general. You know, it's it's you, you need to have a diverse offering for different types of people to come to move to the city and to to show interest in the city. And I think Columbus really, really starts to to promote that. Yeah. For someone who has not been to the orchestra or to the symphony mm-hmm. that's interested in checking it out, what sort of Let's say they do no research ahead of time. Yeah. You know, there's there's the opportunity to research the the conductor, the musicians, the piece of work that they're about to experience. Let's say they don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. What do you what advice would you give them in order to be able to enjoy the work? Is it just sort of being open to it? Is it being in tune with watching what's happening on stage and how interactions are happening? Give a quick primer on how to experience this work i think you know it, it, it it's in in general with with any type of music it's like just come and you know it's take if, it in if you feel you know i mean if, if if somebody feels a little bit apprehensive about classical music what helps is you know we you know you can buy wine right at our venue and take <laughs> it in a, in a plastic cup into the venue just have a kind of like big glass of wine if you know, if that makes you happy or that's good advice. come with friends, you know, come, come in a group or, I mean, you know, I, it's, it's whatever, but I think you don't need to know anything to enjoy uh, the music. I think actually it's very much our job to make sure, to ensure that you have a good time and that you 
enjoy your concert. So y you shouldn't have to put in any work. Okay. I mean, obviously we have we have a concert series targeted to that. It's called Naked Classics. Okay. And we have Paul Risman exclusively here in the US with us. Uh, he's the you know. Um, presenter for the London Symphony and he's he's a guru I mean he's one of the best presenters in the world for classical music no question about that he's extremely entertaining and fun so if you say I'd rather have some kind of introduction I would just say come to the Naked Classics concert the next one is in April okay with us with Paul he will he will guide you through the whole thing and at the same time make and you so laugh And so is he constantly. literally addressing the audience yeah, he's, and he's, saying, he's, okay. he's addressing the work. He's basically giving you a very in-depth, actually, introduction okay. to the work that is going to be played. But at the same time, he will make you laugh at least once a minute. And that's a really kind of like very conservative estimate. He will make you laugh actually all the time. Gotcha. Um, he's, so he's this perfect person who, who is extremely entertaining. And at the same time, you really learn I mean, I even learn from him, you know, so you really learn a lot. So if that's something that concerns you where you say, you know, I'd, I'd rather have a little bit more understanding before right. I go, just come to the Naked Classics and it's all in one package. You just come to the door, you go into the hall, you get everything in one go and, and hopefully you leave very happy. But generally, I think really, I, I, I want to tell this to everybody, like it's, it's good that we talk about it because you don't need to know anything about classical music. Look, when, when, when Beethoven wrote his symphonies, the counts or the people from the streets or whoever went to his concerts, they, right. they, they didn't know anything about, you know, the music. It's, it's like when, when I go, when you think about rock bands or so, you know, I mean, you know, some people are into, you know, the band totally and they read all these fan magazines right. and, and whatever. They know exactly what kind of is most favorite don't. food and how right. much this kind of like guy drinks or whatever. But <laughs> honestly, I personally was never particularly interested in this kind of thing. So I sometimes would, when I bought a CD, I would read, the, the CD, liner notes, the, like, right? Uh, like that, but but nowadays there are no CDs anymore anyway. So even that is completely gone in a kind of way. So you know, but but you wouldn't say, well, you really have to study the works and so before you can go and attend a rock concert because you assume it's it's the job of the rock band to entertain you. You pay, right. they entertain you, right? And it's the same. And I don't know. There is some this kind of like sometimes elitist thinking in some classical organizations. Well, it's and considered I don't a high it. art. Yeah, but it's the same, for me, it's the same principle. Well, it, it, but it never was a high art, you know? When it was written, when Beethoven wrote his symphonies, That's fair. You know, he had to survive. He wrote to get paid, you right. know? And it, it, it is a high art in any way, but it's, for me, high art is the one who makes the art, you know? High art means that the performers evoke emotions in you and, and make the night unforgettable. But I think we, we really, really need to understand as performers that people come to our concerts, they pay, they, they give us their time, right. you know, and they want us to make their evening unforgettable. That's, that's, that's our job role. on stage. That's my role, you know, that, that's right. really what I and the orchestra need to do. I, I cannot go on stage and be like, oh, the audience needs to be educated about this so that they can understand it. No, it's, it's, it's my role to make their evening unforgettable and and to make an experience can you talk a little bit more about the role of a conductor i think that that's for people that even who have experienced this yeah. work but haven't studied it much it's a little nebulous in that you are you're cueing musicians it seems to the outside eye that that they may be able to frankly handle that themselves <laughs> to an yeah. extent well, you yeah, know simply are. listening to what's going yeah. on what is What's the role of a conductor? What what are you doing besides simply cueing people? Well, 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 it is it is very nebulous. Obviously, that that was one thing that I 
struggled initially when I was studying conducting. And okay. uh, it was actually my teacher in Helsinki who broke through that wall because he told me every week, and I'm not overdoing that, like he, I was studying, he told me every week how rubbish I am, how disappointed he is, how terrible everything is. I mean, it was not so only me. So that's how he motivated it was ba- people. Well, it was basically his system. He told all of us that we are terrible and that he's kind of like, you know, can't watch us without getting, you know, sick. And so So it was, you know, it was basically his method. Um, mm-hmm. He was brilliant, though. I mean, he was absolutely okay. brilliant himself. And week after week, I would go to him and I would ask him, you know, what this and what that and so on. And he was like, you, you just don't get it. You know, you just don't get it. And... After a couple of months, I was so desperate that I f- f- something switched in my brain and I broke through this wall of, goodness gracious, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm asking him to give me a recipe book mm-hmm. for a job where recipe books don't exist. Okay. You know, I mean, it's generally, I guess, in high art forms. I mean, you know, when, when you think about, like, you know, highest level cooks, you know, eventually they, they, they will really need to be able to cook themselves and invent things and get creative and just, like, leave this comfort zone. Right. And just just do it and, and, and just make mistakes right. on your own and, and just, like, make it work somehow. And that's very much with, with conducting, you know. And I, I was, you know, looking for a while when I was a student for... Somebody to tell me, okay, if you do this, then it will have this result and so on. It is not like that. It is very nebulous. You, okay. you have to be, you have to grow up and be an adult and, and lead people. And, okay. you know, with always when you lead people, you make mistakes and you, you make mistakes very publicly and in front of a lot of people and you got to own it up and like go with it and, and learn and hopefully not repeat the mistake. Or if you repeat it a second time, then you know, beat yourself up and say, not a third time, you know, I got right. to learn from this. And so basically the, the, the basic job of a conductor, you know, apart from waving your arms like a madman is, <laughs> is, is, is really motivate, motivating people to give their best. An orchestra, when you, let, let's, let's keep with the example of a Beethoven symphony since we're playing a Beethoven cycle this season. Yeah. An orchestra of the quality of Promusica obviously is very easily able to play a Beethoven symphony from the beginning to the end without the help of a conductor. Right. They can read the notes, they can listen to each other, they can play together. But now you're dealing with the fact that you have, let's say, 40 individuals on stage who all have their own ideas. I mean, how fast should it be played? Right. How loud should this place be played? How, lo- how should I fit into the puzzle? Because you're dealing here with people who are trained on their instruments to a very high standard, but obviously... Have their own opinion. Have their own opinion. That's what I mean. And and musicians are trained. If they are trained well, then they are trained to have an own opinion and to have a strong opinion and to have ideas, right? But these opinions don't necessarily match and mix and, you know, stylistically questions. So in comes the conductor and basically molds this kind of like group of people with all their own opinions into one cohesive whole. And you deal with the same... And I think I know the answer to this, but is your role to dictate to them... Here's how fast, here's the emotion, here's here's the volume, or is it to take these high this highly skilled group and blend it? It's very tough to answer that because it's a bit of both. Okay. You know, in in, in some I mean and, and there are different approaches. I mean, there are very different styles of conducting, very different ways to just people, like different ways of cooking. Uh, it's it's the same. It's it's right. basically that. I mean, some conductors come in and they are dictators, and some conductors who are dictators are very successful and very good at what they are doing. How do um, you work? 
I work a little bit particularly with Promusica. I work, I think, more collaboratively. I mean, and we can discuss everything in after rehearsals as well. I mean, some discussions, you know, it's it's a very different way that we do. They approach things. you and say, we hey, can, I, yeah, exactly. Okay. Somebody approaches me and is like, well, this place, I mean, I understand why you want it so fast, for example, but we basically have the feeling that we have to fake ourselves our way through. So I mean, we just want to let you know that can we have a conversation about that? If, the, you know, w what happens and then I can, you know, well, make it's similar up my to mind. theater in that way, right? That it's a, very similar. A different actor on stage. Yes. They're not the lead and yet they're overpowering a scene. And so what, what that's is the thing. How do you deal with that? Conveyed, right? And, right. And I think that's also the different styles of directors in theaters. Some directors just scream at people and hmm. are very dictatorial. Have, but, you know, some of them have great vision. Right. You know, some directors, I guess, come in with this vision. It has to be like that. And everybody is a, a marionette, like in, in their hands, right. they kind of like a, a puppet who they kind of like basically lead and every movement and every way of delivery has to be exactly like the director envisions it and they pull it off and some directors come in and they work with who they have and what they have and they form that into cohesive form and that can work as well very good so it, it really depends on what you want to achieve i'm trying not to dictate everything but i'm trying to to have a strong enough will so that people definitely can have an orientation from me and that they know exactly what I'm, how I'm guiding them through, through the process. But without taking at least, it's, very, it's, it's generally with leadership. Like when you look at a coach of a football team or so, you know, you, uh -huh. I guess you're dealing also with strong personalities and everybody yeah. wants to be a star. But as the coach, the only thing you're interested in is that your team wins. Right. You know, that's the job. If it looks ugly, if that person can be the star or that person or who in the end, makes the touchdown you know if you win you're a successful coach and i think as a conductor it's it's not unsimilar you know as long as the concert sounds great and and you have the feeling you really represent the composer well and the audience is a great experience i think that's really the way you're trying to go it doesn't and matter if you're incorporating every single opinion that's absolutely that's musician. absolutely also right. also from yourself from your own perspective it's and it's tough, you know. It's, yeah. it's a touch and go. You have to be. You have to know well, when a, is it worth to really push, right. you know, for your idea because you have really the belief that that idea is the way to unlock it and and to make it work, or when do you have the feeling now you're just frustrating your colleagues for actually very little return? Is that worth it? You know, because you're sacrificing right. sacrificing something. I mean, sometimes. It's a it's a live thing, you know, also yeah. in rehearsal. You, you you make decisions on the spot. It's a live thing. But I think still the most important thing, and I think that's in many leadership jobs, is if people believe, if, if you can make people believe, you know, and can make people believe in themselves and perform to their highest strength, I still think that's the most important thing. Like, it's unbelievable just to hear the difference of an orchestra of people who are very good but just play right? and to hear an orchestra who has people who are very good and play to the best of their ability and are working you know? together and working together and, and, and everybody just gives everything and, and contributes to achieve that with Promusica is fortunately not uh, particularly hard because people are extremely self-motivated, but still, you know, still there is, you, 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 there's still you're work still, to well, do. You know, motivating right. people and reminding them of, Sometimes subconsciously reminding them to give everything, you know, in, in the moment is, 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 is really very much what, what you need to do as a conductor. Yeah. Great. David, thank you so much for your thank time. Thank you. No, thank you. It's awesome talking to you. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite musician. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.